This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable blade knives, fixed blade knives, and game processing kits. Now, we've all been there before, trying to field dress your wild game with a dull knife. This is where Outdoor Edge really steps in. With the Razor Safe system, you can have a brand new razor sharp blade with just the push of a button. No more dull blades and no more problems processing your wild game. To check out all of the products from Outdoor Edge, visit OutdoorEdge.com. And at checkout, enter the discount code NATION30. That's N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off of your purchase. You are listening to the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, your home for all things outdoors in the Badger State. I'm your host, Josh Raley, and this is episode number six. Today, we've got a fantastic episode in store. I was able to catch up with outdoor writer, podcast host, and part of the meat eater crew, Tony Peterson. Now, Tony is an avid whitetail deer hunter, and every fall, he travels the country and gets to pursue whitetails in some of the coolest places in the nation. Uh, Tony calls Minnesota home, but he has a special place in his heart for bow hunting the big woods of northern Wisconsin. That's what this episode is all about. We cover big picture e-scouting, mobile hunting, and even drill down into where Tony would be in different parts of the season. But before we hear from Tony, please make sure you follow this podcast in Apple Podcasts or wherever you access this podcast. And also, Follow us on Instagram. Let us know other guests you'd like to hear from and other topics that you would like for us to cover. Now, without further ado, let's jump into the conversation with Tony Peterson. All right. Joining me today is none other than Mr. Tony Peterson. Tony, how are you doing? I'm doing excellent today, buddy. Thank you for having me. Hey, thank you for coming on. Uh, You've got a lot going on. Busy schedule. Uh, I do. It's it never seems to slow down, man. And I just, I keep taking on stupid stuff that I probably shouldn't, but I can't help it. And yeah, I'm a busy guy, but I I love doing this stuff. So I'm excited for this. Sure. Well, I've got to say, I've really enjoyed some of the content coming out uh, with Wired to Hunt, Meat Eater, all of that. Your new foundations podcast is, is excellent. Uh, I've I've been pointing people uh, to that and I've been, uh, I've been listening to it myself and just like, yeah, these are good refreshers. It's just a, just a good time. So uh, thanks for that. Thanks for putting that out there. And, um, I've appreciated not only that, but a lot of your writing. I recently bought one of your books. That's been really great. Uh, so yeah, thanks, man. Thanks, for, thanks for what you're doing. Um, for people who maybe don't know who you are, or maybe haven't heard of you, or maybe have been living under a rock for the last three or four years, uh, tell the, tell us a little bit about who you are, who you're affiliated with, where they can find your writings, that kind of stuff. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, I've, I've been a freelance writer, in the outdoor space, primarily the bow hunting space for quite a while now, probably, I don't know, I guess 12 years now. And before that I was an associate editor with Peterson's bow hunting. So I've, I've been around a while and, and worked for, you know, pretty much everybody, you know, the, the field and streams, the outdoor lives and, you know, bow hunter, Peterson's bow hunting, North American whitetail, a lot of those, those brands. And, you know, a couple of years ago, I had some contacts at meat eater and they, they gave me a shot to start writing for them a little bit and get in the door there. And then, you know, just recently this spring, I signed a, I signed a deal with them to do a bunch of whitetail stuff. That's where that, that wired to hunt content comes from. And so that's kind of where I'm at now and where a lot of the writing and the, the videos and, you know, podcasts, like you mentioned are, and, you know, outside of that, 
my other passion, you know, I know we're going to talk about hunting whitetails here, but my other passion is just bird dogs. And so I do a lot of work, um, you know, for gun dog magazine, wildfowl. I, I love dogs. It just, <laughs> that's, that's like my, when you turn deer hunting into your job, you got to have something else sure, and sure. fishing and bird dogs are kind of my escape now. That's awesome. So I was listening uh, recently on a podcast. Uh, you were you were talking with somebody about um, about teaching a dog to to shed antler hunt, and uh, some of the really just flipped upside down some of my thinking about it. And and uh, so I, I I went inside and I grabbed a shed and I brought my dog out, and uh, he was afraid of it. So we went back inside. <laughs> uh what what so kind of dog is that he is a just a little mixed mutt i mean the antler was about as big as him okay. uh, but he's, he's got a good nose on him though and he he's really after uh like chipmunks and squirrels and any of that kind of stuff he he hunts it down and yep. uh, is more than happy to more than happy to hunt but i think the antler thing was just like ooh, that's that's a little too much it's got pokey pokey parts yeah. and i don't want that, anything well, to do with that that happens to people. They throw an antler out there and the dog runs up and gets jabbed with it and it's over. And it's the, the shed antler thing is weird. Cause it's, if you want a really, really good shed dog, you want something that just lives to retrieve. Cause yeah. it's not, a, it's, it's not really a hunt, you know, yep. like it's, it doesn't yep. do for them what hunting birds or, you know, anything with fur does. It's a different thing. But if you have a dog that just lives to bring stuff back to you there, then you're on the right path for a shed dog. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about deer hunting. That's why we're here today. Right. So you, uh, unlike, uh, probably a lot of folks who listening, who are listening to this podcast have opportunities to travel all around the country to deer hunt. Um, you've got experience in all sorts of different terrain. Um, but something to know about you, you come every, is it every year to Wisconsin? Oh my God. I'm in Wisconsin all the time, buddy. That's awesome. <laughs> all That's time. awesome. So tell me about how, how did you get, you don't live in Wisconsin, right? I, I do not. I live in Minnesota. I'm putting a little pressure on my wife to move over there and it's not going very well, but I'm going to play the long game on that. I, yeah. I like Wisconsin a lot. Okay. I, I, I really just, I, I've been going over to Wisconsin to hunt various stuff and fish and just for a long, long time. So how did you get started hunting in Wisconsin and fishing and all that? Uh, just proximity, you know, okay. I mean, I, I've got a really good buddy who he's got relatives in Wisconsin. So he was going over there, he, you know, when I met him in college, he'd been turkey hunting over there a lot and had always gone kind of on the, like the traditional, uh, rifle hunt over there. And so he bought some land in up in Russ County, geez, probably in like 2008. And I started just, just for the hell of it going over there and helping him cut shooting lanes and stuff. And he's, he's a big rifle hunter. And, you know, he started saying, you know, if you want to come over here, bow hunt, go ahead. And then, you know, because we had dogs, we started hunting the grouse and, you know, it, it's kind of those kind of things turn into a lot. If you're, if you're open, you know, we have this weird thing going on, especially with deer hunting, where it's like this, a lot of guys are kind of presenting this Terminator lifestyle where it's like just <laughs> scout, 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 hunt, hunt, hunt. And it's just whitetail, whitetail, whitetail. And it, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Go ahead. I don't care. I don't really care what people do, but you see so many of these opportunities kind of open up when you just start going and doing when I, I find a lot of cool stuff when I'm walking behind a dog, trying to shoot a bird. And, yeah. you know, it's the same thing. Like I always encourage people to go West to hunt, even if it's just an antelope hunt, because if you do that one time, you're going to see mule deer and you might see elk or you might see something or you might jump a bunch of prairie chickens. And they're like, it's just it expands your worldview a little bit. You go, man, there's a lot of hunting opportunities that I could or fishing that I could have 
that aren't, you know, high dollar type of thing, like they're available to us, you know, and mm -hmm. I think that's so cool. Yeah, I think that's something a lot of people miss out on. I think you're right. Whitetails can be a 365 day uh, pursuit and a lot of that's great and fun to scout and do all that stuff. But when I moved from the deep South up to Wisconsin and all of a sudden I'm out and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going pheasant hunting next weekend, or I'm going turkey hunting next weekend, or I'm going trout fishing next weekend, or uh, it just really opened up and, and diversified my enjoyment of the outdoors. And, and I don't think that my whitetail hunting has suffered from that. I, I, I thought that it would at first. I was like, ah, if I'm not out there scouting, or if I'm not out there, you know, beating the bushes, or if I'm not out there knocking on doors for permission today, then, then I, my whitetail hunting is going to suffer come the fall. And I haven't seen that happen. Uh, no. In fact, I've, I've been better in the deer woods because I've diversified a bit. Yeah. Well, without question. And I think, I think one thing that we don't see with that kind of terminator message is you, you kind of need a break from it. Like you need yeah. to, you need to, you know, kind of let that simmer for a while, go do something else and go, go fish some brookies or something, just get out and do some other stuff. And you, then you don't get locked into that world where you're a lot of people, if they go after it too hard, there's a burnout factor that's really high. And there's this kind of, uh, you know, paralysis by analysis factor where you're like, you have so much information on a given property that you just kind of lock up and go like, well, you know, like they should be going through here at this time, but the weather's doing this, or like maybe they'll be down in this cut. And it's just, sometimes it's too much. Yeah. Yeah. It gets so locked in. Sometimes you forget to hunt and enjoy it while you're out there. So uh, I, I hunt primarily in Southern Wisconsin. You've done quite a bit of hunting in Northern Wisconsin. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mentioned it on a previous podcast and I'm going to piss a lot of people off and a lot of people are going to probably be mad at me about this. But since I've moved here to Wisconsin and I've been hunting in the Southern part of the state, one thing I haven't understood is, is everybody's flight North every fall. Um, because the deer hunting is so good in Southern Wisconsin. I mean, it, it's, I never heard it really talked about much until I moved up here. And then I'm like, oh, okay, there's really, really great deer hunting in Southern Wisconsin, but for tradition or, or because everybody owns a cabin up there or whatever other reason people head North. And so, um, when I started asking, um, people who are following along with this podcast or people who are following me on Instagram or whatever, I said, Hey, what do you want to hear from? They were like, we want to hear about Northwoods. We want to hear about big woods, deer hunting, and we want to hear it from Tony Peterson. So, uh, I'm, I'm glad to have you on here. And so, yeah, tell me a bit about your experience hunting big woods in Northern Wisconsin. Well, I, I mean, I think we should back up a second, okay. you know, like, and talk about why, you know, why people don't necessarily flock to Southern Wisconsin versus, you know, I mean, th there is like a very clear kind of exodus from a lot of places and they end up in the North. It's same thing happens in Minnesota too. And, you know, part of it is that tradition, right? Like Wisconsin, one of the reasons I love Wisconsin is there is a crazy deer hunting tradition and a love of the game there. Like there, there just is. And so that like, that's part of it, but you also have to think about, you don't want everybody going to, you know, Southern Wisconsin, because what are they going to have to do? They're going to have to start leasing up stuff. Like it's going to, you know what I mean? Like they're going yep. up to the yep. place where there's land available to them. And, you know, one thing, like, how old are you? I'm 34, 34. Yep. Well, you're getting there then. But one thing that's really hit me in the last, probably like five years of my hunting career is there's just certain places for whatever reason, just do it for you. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, yep. Yeah, um, it's kind of like it, it's like tasting music or what like there's there's just some stuff for whatever reason you're just wired to love that and the setting in which you hunt 
like we, we kind of in the hunting industry, we focus on like, where can I go to kill a big buck? Like I got to go to Iowa or I got to go to Buffalo County or whatever. And you know, which is fine, but you start to figure out like one of the things that Western hunting teaches you or can kind of teach you is like, man, even though you can go get your ass absolutely handed to you in these places, it's worth being there. Cause it's just something special about it, you know? Yep. And yep. the big woods for some people, some people don't like it, but I, for me, it's, it kind of took hold of me when I, I started grouse hunting a lot and, and, you know, finding some little duck ponds to work with and started bow hunting it more, probably like 10 years ago. I was like, I don't know why I just like being there, even though the, the, you're right. Like the hunting sucks a lot of times it's hard. Like, and that's, you know, that's one of the things I, I really want. I, I don't want to sound like bitter or whatever, like sure. I'm overselling it but it is freaking hard. And I talk to people all the time who are in the industry are like, Oh, I'm going to go up to the, you know, the boundary waters in Minnesota, or I'm going to go to the, the UP and I'm going to arrow one on public land. And I'm like, you're, you're probably not going to see one. Like you have mm -hmm. no idea what you're getting into. Like this is, I, I think anyway, the big wood stuff is the hardest hunt out there for whitetails, but it's still worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I, and I think that's, that's a lot of what it is. It, it, it has captured people's uh, not only uh, attention, but imagination. Right. And it's just something about being in that, being in that place. I've yet to experience it. I'm looking forward to it. But then I hear people like you say, I'm not going to lie. It's hard. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, mm, maybe I want to <laughs> stick around to where things are, are easy for, for a little while longer. Um, but, but it, you know, you're, you, we were talking off air and you know, you've got a bunch of little kids at home. Yep. I mean, there is, this, this is like a, you know, as much as we kind of make it be this, we, we think it's like something bigger than us, right? You know, you post your pictures on Instagram and you talk about it on your podcast. This is like, this is really for you, right? Yep. So if you're having fun hunting Southern, who cares? Like go, go do that. But I, I kind of look at this like, you know, yeah, I want to go try new stuff and be new places and be in these settings I like, but I just, at some point you're like, God damn, I love this challenge. Like, <laughs> you know, getting into that place, knowing that it's not, it's going to be really, really difficult, but it's, you know, it's hunting. Like if you work at it, you're going to have, you know, you maybe not tons of filled tags, but you're going to see those deer and you're going to get on something and you're going to just, it's just a fun challenge. And you, I saw this a lot with, uh, with some people in the hunting industry where it's like just default to the easiest thing possible all the time, you know, part of that's cause they're making a TV show or whatever. And like, that's sure. just, it's logistics, right? Like you're going to hire a cameraman for 20 days or you could hire them for three. Like, you know, they're going to, they're going to, it's business, but at the same time, like we, we kind of weren't talking about like, there's just value in the challenge, you know, like there's, there's value in saying like, I'm going to go just try to figure out, you know, 40,000 acres of timber. That's just all, you know, like, no, there's, they're in a cornfield around, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let, let's, let's start, uh, let's start by, by with this. So I feel like that, that term big woods gets thrown around quite a bit. And perhaps there are people who are listening to this from other States, maybe people down South or whatever, who are listening to this. How, how do you define the habitat type of big woods? Man, just, just very, very little egg, if any at all. You know, I mean, cause it, you can get, you can get pretty far into what would absolutely be considered big woods. And there might be a hay field, you know, horse pasture or something somewhere that could, could like, you know, potentially be called ag, or it might be a destination food source, but really you're just dealing with stuff where the primarily the land is covered in trees and brush and shrubs and swamps and, you know, not, nothing under the plow. 
Sure. Sure. So, uh, another, another big part of the hunt for folks when, um, when they're going, so when, when they look back on a hunt and say, yeah, that was a success or, or no, it wasn't a success or yes, I did. I did enjoy it or no, I didn't enjoy it. I think a big part of that is, is expectations, right? Like what, whether those expectations were met or not met, or maybe even exceeded. So can you go into a little bit of, if, if someone's never hunted in the big woods before, or if somebody uh, has been uh, trying it out, but maybe they're just getting tired of it. They're just like, gosh, I'm, I'm sick of the same thing every year. And I'm just getting my ass handed to me. Uh, what, what are reasonable expectations when it comes to deer sightings, when it comes to the, the quality of animal you're going to be taking, when it comes to uh, the uh, scouting and what you should be doing for that, when it comes to the amount of hunting pressure, like, like what can somebody expect if they say, you know what, I'm heading north this fall? Uh, I would, well, I don't know how to put this. I'm a, I'm a big proponent of low standards because we, you know, if you think, all right, I'm going to go, and I see this constantly with people who don't have much experience or no experience at all. Like, oh, I'm just going to go and I'd be happy with a nice, like 125 inch. I'm like, do you know how big of a deer that is? Like, do you know how rare of a deer that is? Like, you're going to get up into wolf territory and you're going to kill a Pope and young buck. Like, you might not see one for five years or 10 years. The th so I, I always say, if you're, if you're trying something new and challenging, just, just revert back to low, low standards. Like, I'll tell you what, man, I have... I have to work really, really hard to kill does in the big woods, really hard. And there, there are seasons where I don't do it. I don't get one doe in a right situation where I can kill her. Like, and so you think about that and go, Oh, you know, I've never been up there, but I'm going to go hunt 130 inch plus deer. Like, man, it, this is low density. These, these deer, you know, they, not only are they dealing with people, which they are, but they're also dealing with bears and coyotes and bobcats and wolves and, and harsh winters. And it's just, it's a rough environment. And, you know, the one wild card up there that really can make it challenging is some of those counties allow baiting and some of them don't. And hunting, if you, if you're just going to show up around baiting, you're at a huge disadvantage It's just at certain parts of the season. It's, it's, I would say like, that's, the hardest thing I deal with. And it's part of the reason why I, because the area I mostly hunt, they allow baiting there. Okay. And so I'm always like planning, okay, how do I hunt? Cause I don't want to bait. I've, I've been down that road. It doesn't do it for me. So I'm just like, I, I want to hunt them on natural movement. And so now I have to plan my hunts around, you know, when I think people probably won't be going in and putting lots of corn out. And so there's, a, there's a lot of things to figure out. And all of that is like a really long winded way of saying, like, be realistic about what you could probably get in front of you. Sure. So, so if you, if you haven't done it before and you get up there and you've got a legal deer standing in front of you at 15 yards and it's a chip shot, you need to take it. That's yeah. what I hear you saying. Oh man. I, I would say that all day long. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it just, it really is. And it's, I, you know, like, you, you might go and have a good hunt. I mean, I've had, I've had times where I've seen, you know, three or four bucks or, you know, I've had kind of the rut thing going on pretty well, but most of the time it's really, really difficult. I I've seen in a lot of, uh, of other media, not necessarily talking about like the big woods of Wisconsin, but in, uh, let's say the, the big woods of, of Virginia or some other places where they talk about deer being in pockets. So you yeah. kind of just stumble into them and it's like, okay, now I'm on the deer. Is that kind of the same way with, with Wisconsin as well that I've seen that. I mean, I okay. think, I think when you, if you go hunt a really good state or you go hunt uh, an area with a lot of deer, you'll have buck concentrations. 
you know, like especially certain time, early season, certain times of the year, you just have like those places where you're like, man, this is just hopping. Like they're just here, but you have deer everywhere. Cause the, you know, cause the habitat's right. And the population's high. When you get into the big woods up North, it's like there's deer concentrations and that might be all the deer you're working with in two square miles, you know, and that might be, you know, 10 deer, eight deer, or, you know, and it's probably not all of them, but it's, it might be the majority of them in one spot. And it, that the thing that's so frustrating about that is you don't have that destination food source to anchor them. So you're not you know, like every year when you walk in, you're not like, well, I at least know where they're going to end up to feed. And so, and then in the morning, I know where they're going to start and work back from. It's just like, okay, last year they were on this little Creek bottom in this, you know, national forest for some reason. And then you show up this year and they're not there. And it's just like, okay, now I got to relocate. Why there's deer around me somewhere, but where did they go? So if we're, if we're approaching, let's say one of these properties and, and the, I mean, the properties up there, if you're on public are huge, right? Like there are tons yeah. and tons of land. So if you're looking at a big, at a big place like this and, and you're, let's say you're starting out, you're just like, okay, I'm going to start making plans for this fall. If you can't really look at say your Onyx and you're, you're looking for, uh, you can't look for like destination food sources. You can't look for uh, a cornfield or a soybean field or anything like that. Where are you going to start? Like you're, you pull up Onyx on your computer screen. Like what is it that you're looking for within just the monotonous timber? Uh, you know, so the first thing I do, and I, I learned this hunting Western whitetails was to try not to overwhelm myself with the, so, the, the size. So like you said, you know, you might have you know, we should say this too. You might have a big national forest that's 100,000 acres or 200,000 acres, or you might have an area that has some managed forest land mixed in there that's like 160 acre chunk here. You know, like it's not it's not necessarily huge, huge chunks, but a lot of times it is. And so I usually just look and I'm like, okay, what what do I have working for me? And a lot of times that might be like a swamp or some kind of lowland feature that's going to funnel movement. Right. Or, you know, or maybe have an island in there that's going to be a really good bedding area or something like when I'm just kind of scrolling over, I'm like, okay, where's where's potential? You know, like where's something that would move them or force them to move or where would they maybe like to be? Or sometimes you see those soft edges from the from the logging, the forestry and just go, okay, this area has this swamp. And I know when I get around these swamps, like there's always there's going to be a rub line or something around there, you know, like usually there's going to be some kind of trails that have been used for generations because they go on a high spine or something like that. And you just start to go, okay, this area has three of these things I like. So this is one of my spots. I'm just going to walk in there and check it out. And then you just keep looking and keep going. And it's always in relation to access too, right? Like, you know, the one thing that you see in Northern Wisconsin a lot is logging roads that are used as four-wheeler trails. And if people can take a four wheeler in there, they're going to take a four wheeler in there. And so I don't want to see that. Like, I don't want, I don't want that easy access, especially with the baiting thing. Like it's, it's too easy for people to use. And it just is, I, I know from past experience, it's not going to work out very well for me. If there's that much access or that much easy access into it, you're going to have to go somewhere where people have to walk. Yeah. So it sounds like you're, you're going to approach this property and you're not going to have sort of the, the, uh, you're going to have more than just a hammer in your toolkit is kind of what I hear you saying. So uh, a lot of folks here may say, I'm, I'm looking specifically for the bedding. The bedding is a limiting factor. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for bedding. Uh, you're more of an opportunist. Well, you're just yeah. looking at a property and saying, what does this give me? 
Yeah. I mean, if, imagine if you walked into 20,000 acres of big timber and you said, I was going to find where the deer bed, like, okay, it's everywhere. So wait, wait, not? wait. The, everybody on YouTube is telling me that's how you hunt deer. Yeah. No, I know. I know. <laughs> the bedding thing, I, people ask me about bedding constantly. And I, that's the lead that that's the, just so far down on my list of important stuff that I just don't, it's in, especially with big woods, it's different. You know, if I'm hunting Western whitetails and I can see this like bed to food, food to bed pattern, I want to know where they're sleeping. Right. Mm -hmm. But in the big woods, it's like, geez, like they can freaking be anywhere. And you, yeah. you will sometimes find something and you go, okay, there's this bench here. And I found a bed on it when I was scouting in March. Like some, sometimes you get that kind of gift and you go, okay, that matters. Like, don't, I, I don't want to dismiss it. Sure, but sure. really the, the, the challenge with the big woods that I see is like, okay, the food is just browse typically. Right. And it, and so that's just changing by the week and it's, it's might be available in so many different situations. And so you have that going for you or kind of working against you. Then you have the bedding thing where they have so many opportunities to bed in so many places. And so what do you got to do? Like you got to find where they like to walk. Like when I, when I go in there, I like to find where deer like to walk and I hope I can play that into my seasonal strategy. Yeah. So, uh, let's say I, I have now taken this, uh, this big map and I've marked a couple of places. Maybe I've marked some, some swamps or some low areas. Maybe I've marked some benches that look interesting to me. Maybe I've marked some soft edges like you were talking about. Um, and I go in and I put boots on the ground. I'm like, I'm just going to, I'm going to run through and I'm going to check these spots out. So coming from, uh, let's say Southern Wisconsin, I'm used to one level of, of deer sign, right? Like I'm used to being able to walk into a woodlot, see lots of rubs, lots of scrapes. And if they're not there, the deer probably aren't there either. When I'm walking into the big woods up North, how much sign is enough sign? And when do I keep walking? Well, it depends when you're in there. Okay. You know, I mean, I, I think the most valuable time for me by far scouting the big woods is in like late March, early April when it, you know, it just depends when that snow melts. But if you, if you can get in there and cover a lot of ground when that snow melts, you can just see things laid out really well. And so what I'm looking for primarily, and I know a lot of people are big scrape hunters. I'm really not like I, if I find one, I'll pay attention to it. But when I get in there, I'm looking for trails and I'm looking for rubs mostly. And I, you just can't fake a bunch of rubs in a spot, right? Like you, yeah. if, you, if you see that there was something good going on there. And if there's some kind of up and down to the terrain and there's a trail that goes through this pinch point or something like that, you know, it's probably a season long deal. It's not just a rut thing. And you can just start to pin some of this stuff down. And I, you know, the one thing I do like about the big woods, like, you know, talking about the bedding thing, I've, I've spending a bunch of time in this one spot winter scouting it. I've, I've seen some big ones in there. I've killed some nice bucks in this, this area. And I found this bed on a bench last spring. So, so probably in the end of March and you could stand there and this is going to make me sound like a hypocrite, but you could stand there and you could look and see like the rubs going down this way and the rubs going down that way. And it was like, man, this dude's got just a perfect scenario here to not get you know, nothing's going to sneak up on him and you could just sit there and because of the, the wide open nature of the woods at that time of year, you could just look and see some of his directions of travel and you go, geez, this is like, this is valuable. And, you know, I found that because I went in there grouse hunting four years ago and saw just some random rubs, kind of made a mental note of it, started hunting in there and, you know, killed a buck in there two years ago, saw a great big one. And just like, it's like, 
years of experience walking this and I'm still learning and it, I'm talking maybe like a couple hundred acres of, of this huge area. And so I guess I say that like to give it a little bit of perspective. It's not like I just walked in there and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to hunt here. Cause I see this rub. And it's like, this has been seasons and years of like trying to figure just this one spot out. Yeah. Whereas in some other maybe higher density areas, you've got a lot to go on. You've got a lot to learn from a lot to adjust based on. Uh, if you're hunting in a low density deer area, it may take you three, three years, five years of putting the pieces together, seeing stuff yeah. repeat. Uh, so what are the things that you've seen? So let's say you said he, uh, this deer um, had a good spot, right? Like nothing was going to sneak up on him. What were the things that set this location apart that you think is drawing him back there? Um, I think the main part of it now, and this is totally speculation on my part, is that he can probably hear anybody who comes in anywhere near him okay. hunter wise. So I should explain this a little bit. So, you know, back to earlier, you asked about buck concentrations or deer concentrations. So this, this property, there's a little stream that runs through it and it's, you know, it's got some brookies in it, but it's tiny. You can hop across it in a lot of spots. But it's kind of, you know, like if I find moving water, I, it makes me excited. Like I, I know deer are going to travel it and I know there's going to be crossings and geez, probably six or seven years ago, I started really paying attention to this area. And when I decided, I'm like, I'm hunting this Creek bottom and I'm going to figure this out. I had a really good season, uh, saw some great bucks, killed a good one, one morning in the middle of October in there. And I'm like, okay, I got these dudes figured out. Like I, I saw enough good deer that I'm like, this is this is it. This is where they are in this big. And I've been looking for them. And by, by like two seasons after that, there were ladder stands in there and bow stands in there. And those deer were just gone. So I spent one season hunting ghosts, like, God damn, like they're just gone and there's hunting pressure in there. And so I had to reset. And that was when I went like, you know, man, when I was grouse hunting, I saw those rubs back here, way closer to the road, way easier to get to, but maybe that's telling me something. So I backed up in there and that's, I think that concentration of deer moved like 600 yards, you know, just enough. And where that buck was, there's just a really nice bench on a hillside above that Creek bottom. And the way the wind blows across the flat and the way the road, the little access road is in there, I think, you know, I don't have very good hearing anymore. So I don't think I could lay there and hear truck doors slamming all the way down the road, but I bet you a deer in there with the right wind, nobody's going to get out of their truck and walk above him. Like he's going to smell you. I, I just guarantee it. You're not going to sneak up from the Creek bottom below. Cause he can see everything, you know, like he's got a really good look there and he can hear probably, he can probably hear most of the hunters walk in and walk past that spot. So he just, just had a lot working for him. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, just happened onto it. So uh, you're not going in saying, okay, I'm, I'm searching for bedding you're going in looking for whatever the opportunity, whatever opportunity it brings to you. When you're starting to find some of these trails, um, what is going to set apart? You say, I want to, I want to know where the deer are walking, right? What sets apart the right trail from just a random deer trail? Like what, what are the things that you're like, okay, this is the one as opposed to the other 37 that I've seen, or will you even see that many deer trails? I don't know. No, um, it's uh, it, what, it's what the terrain has to offer you. Okay. So the reason that I went in there when, it, when I, where I killed the buck, when I saw this, I saw the really good one. That I think that was 
owns that bed. I mean, that deer was like a 160. I mean, it's just a monster. And I'm, I'm set up on a trail that cuts between two swamps. And so it's just a pinch point. Like they either got to get their feet wet behind me. They got to get their feet wet in front of me or they come right through the chute. And it's just, it's a really nice season long pinch point where you can funnel. He didn't, that big one came halfway down there, made some rubs and turned around and he went back up the hill toward that bench. And I didn't know what was up there. And then later in the night, this nice eight pointer came down on the, where they were supposed to, and I killed him, but it bothered me. I'm like, why, why didn't he do that? And what am I missing here? And so that's why I went in there. Like, I want to see where did he come from and where did he go? And he just had a safer place to go. He probably goes through that pinch point a lot. Like, I, you know, I don't run cameras and I don't know, but I, I would bet that that deer used that trail quite a bit because it was the best way to go from point A to B and it was in the thick cover and it was a nice spot, but it had those two low spots working for it. You know, I mean, okay. it's just, just a pinch point. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned just now that you don't, you don't use cameras in there. Do you not use them in general? Uh, when you're hunting in the big woods or is that, uh, is that just a spot specific kind of thing? Um, I, I don't like them. So my primary big woods hunting, I've done it in Minnesota, but I, I primarily do it in Wisconsin and where I hunt's about two and a half hours from my house. And so I don't get over there a ton. And, gotcha. and so if I, if I throw up some cameras, I'll show up and I might be hunting a pattern that's just, it's not happening anymore. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I just realized, and I'm not, I don't have, I have an addictive personality. I can't not do it. Like if I, and it doesn't matter what we're talking about. Like, I just have to, I have to be like, no, I can't do this. And so if I put up a bunch of cameras, I know I'm going to get deer pictures. I know I'm going to hunt off of them. I also know from experience that that might not do me any good because I haven't been there in a couple of weeks. And so if I show up and I walk in and I see a bunch of fresh rubs or I see a trail that's pounded to me in the moment, that's so much more actionable than me, me scrolling through, you know, three weeks of pictures and trying to talk myself into something like, it's just, I, and I'm sure people have like a really good strategy for, for doing that, especially if you, if you lived closer and you could kind of keep up with it a little better, I just don't have that situation. So I have to just work with like my, my character flaws and go, okay, like, <laughs> Here's, here's how you have to do this. Cause you will screw this up and you will talk yourself into hunting something else because of what the picture showed you. Sure. Sure. So, uh, you talk about wanting to, to be able to walk in and say, okay, like I see a bunch of fresh rubs. I want to be on this right now, rather than hunting old signs. Does that mean you're, you're doing a lot of like scouting your way in, uh, yeah. hunting your way in when you're, when you are going up there? Yeah. I, uh, if I kill a buck in the big woods, it's usually on like the second or third move from where I started. And so it, it, I actually, it's probably always been that way. Does and bucks where I'll go in. There's something that says you should probably be here and check it out. Then I'll see something move on that and either kill there or see something again and move on that. Okay. Now very consistent. When you say see something and move on that, are you talking movement or are you talking, Hey, I I was on my way in and uh, I found a big scrape on the way in. And so I'm going to maybe drift a little bit more that direction. Are you talking specifically deer movement? Typically seeing a deer do something, okay. but it, it happens where, and it happens everywhere you go. Like, you know, I travel a lot and I've had times in Oklahoma and other States where I've just showed up and the sign just says like, you got, 
you just got to be here. Like, just mm-hmm. don't, don't walk past this. Cause you think, you know, better it's, it's right here in the big woods. You know, it, that's one thing that's, it's kind of interesting about it. And I, it's, it's one of the reasons I really like that mid October timeframe, like, Hey, you know, most people aren't out, you know, like the, the baiting's kind of, you know, the opening week baiting has gone. The rifle stuff hasn't started yet. People are just kind of in that like breather space, but you're also getting a lot of the leaves dropping and it's starting to open up. And so it feels like, you know, and grouse hunters know this too. Like when you walk in on September 15th or whenever the opener is, it's freaking thick. Like you mm-hmm. set up and you can't see very much a month later is a totally different world. And so even, even if you're on stuff that was logged, you know, six, seven years ago and still pretty thick, you can catch a glimpse of them going through, or you, you can see a lot more than you think. And if you're paying attention, you, they're, they're going to give you some kind of clue. And it, the one thing I like about the big woods, you have such a small, such a low deer density that if I'm sitting there and I see any deer do anything, I'm paying attention. You know, like if okay. I see, you know, a prime example is I killed a buck. I, th- I think it was like 2016 on that Creek bottom. And I got in there and hunted the first night and I saw one deer and it was like 125 inch eight point. It was a great buck came down across the Creek, went up, made a rub and it was super windy. I couldn't, there was just couldn't call to him or anything. It's just watch him, you know? And so I thought, well, there's enough sign here. Somebody else is going to come by the next night. I see just four does come down do the same thing. And I'm like, well, I got to, now I got to go over there. Cause this is like, this is obviously what they're doing. And so I went in there and hunted in a morning and killed a buck on a totally different pattern, but he was, he was browsing his way back through in the morning, just in that area. And it was just a concentration area. And I, I, I was like half convinced when I saw the first buck do it. And then when I saw those does go there, I'm like, okay, that's a place I need to be. And I didn't kill him on the trail that I thought I would. He was, t- it was a totally different deal. He was coming through the other way, but it was just, that's just where you got to be. Like, that's just the area. Yeah. You just answered another question that I was going to ask is, you know, how repeatable are, are, are the observations that you, that you have? So you see a buck doing one thing one night, are you moving the next night or are you giving it some time? Uh, I'm almost always moving the next night. Okay. Moving in pretty and, quick. You know, when you talk about repeatability, this is deer everywhere. If they show you something today, hunt it tomorrow. Okay. But for like, forget about it next year, unless you're, you know, unless you're on like really good property or whatever. I mean, I, I would probably, this would be a bad, this is bad health advice. Don't do this, but I'd probably be better off if somebody hit me with a brick and on my skull at the end of every season. So I forgot everything I learned last season. I started fresh because when you show up hunting off those memories, a lot of times it's just, it just doesn't work. Yeah. You get trapped into hunting uh, last year's deer and you're like, oh, they did it last year. They've got to do it again this year. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's that, that might be the biggest problem that a lot of deer hunters have. I mean, you see it in the rifle hunting culture a lot, you know, just I'm going out to my stand or whatever and that, which is fine, but just like, okay, well, I don't want to do the work to find them. So I'm going to talk myself into the fact that they must be coming. They're going to come by this stand because they've come by here before. And it's just, might not be the case. Yeah. Yeah. So we're talking low density areas. We're talking potentially going lots of hunts without seeing much of anything. Walk me through how to make the decision. Uh, if you can, as best you can, let's say I'm sitting in a spot, I'm seeing good sign. I feel like the deer are here, but I haven't seen anything yet. When do I say, well, I just got to give this spot sufficient time. They'll come through here eventually. 
And when do I say it's not working here? I got to move. I I'm like a two sits and I'm gone guy. No, I just, you know, that, that is one thing, you know, when, when you talk about the big woods, you, yeah, it's easy to focus on the negatives, right? Like it's easy to bitch about the wolves or it's easy to complain about, you know, winter killing half of them off every six years or something like that. But you also have tons of land to work with, like we talked about earlier. So there are positives to it. And so if you, if you get on something and you're like, man, this looks like it should be it. And you sit there a morning, you sit there an evening and you, you feel like the conditions were right. Like you got in quiet and you have the wind in your favor and they should have been here and they're not, I'm gone. Now, if okay. you, you know, if you get in and there's some kind of anomalous, you know, it's super hot or something and you're like, oh, maybe that was, maybe there was a different reason for this flaming out, then maybe give it another try. But uh, I, I don't stick around long. Okay. Are you hunting a lot of mornings in, let's say mid-October there? Uh, a ton of them. ton of them. Okay. Yeah. That goes against what a lot of people would suggest. Tell me why you hunt mornings there. Because the deer are out there and they're doing their thing and you can kill them. I mean, there you go. The, they're in the woods. <laughs> I, I've written about this and I've talked about this so much, but you know, you have to look at this, this, the, the root of that, that belief, right. Came from these guys who have huge, awesome managed properties and they don't need to push it. They don't, they can afford to wait for the cold front to come in. They can afford to wait for Halloween and to go in and hunt the bucks that they have named and everything. If you're a public land hunter or you're a weekend warrior and you don't have access to that, you're not playing by their rules. Like you're playing by the rules of whatever the deer and the people are doing on the property you're going to hunt. And for me, you know, being hunting mostly public land for a long time, the deer, that's the number one driver. Like you can, you know, wolves swing through something like that. It, it definitely affects them. No question. But a constant is hunt people in it during the season. It just is. And so when you look at how the there's, and I see this everywhere, it's not just the big woods, like opening week, busy, super busy. Right. And it, you know, the days leading up to open week, and then there's this little tapering off period with everybody, even the small game hunters and everything. And there's just like, you know, we talk about the October lull, like there's a people lull in October and those deer know there's, there's fewer hunters out there than there were before. And you know, that's going to ramp up during the rut. And so if you're, if you want to give yourself an advantage, go hunt when people aren't there, it's just it. And it doesn't like to think that the, you can't go in and kill one in the morning. Like they're, they're out there browsing, they're out there moving around. Like they're those, those big woods, deer cover a lot of ground. And so the opportunity is there if you can get in there and do it right. Yeah, I've, I've appreciated about you and a, and, a, and a handful of other people who uh, are, are proponents of saying, look, the deer are out there doing what deer do in October. Get out there when, when the other people aren't there, when you've got a little bit of room to yourself. Um, when, when did you start? Or I, I guess I'm assuming that maybe you've made a shift. Have you always thought that way about early October, mid-October, or is this something that along the way you were just like, look, I, I don't have a thousand acres of manicured land. I've just got to well, go do it. I mean, so I come from Minnesota and we have one of the earliest gun seasons in the country. When does so, that start? First weekend of November. So okay. it'll be anywhere from November 3rd to like November 9th. We'll have half a million gun hunters out there. And I didn't grow up gun hunting. I grew up bow hunting. And so I knew, and we never, like, I, this is hindsight, right? Like we never thought about it this way. It was just like, well, we've got about six weeks to kill one and then it's over. 
because when the gun season comes, you know, the farms that we hunt and the, the, the land that we hunt, it's going to get, it's wild west shit out there. Right. And then you're done. Like, okay, well you might get a late season thing, but it's, if you don't really put in your time beforehand, you're at a major disadvantage. And so my dad and I, we just, I just grew up that way. Like if I got a chance to hunt, I'm going to go hunt. Like I have mornings, I don't care. I just, I want to be in a tree and several of the first bucks I killed that I mounted when I actually started finally killing decent deer were in the middle of October or in, you know, the back half of September in the morning. And it, I just didn't know any better. And then when you kind of base your, your income off of killing public land bucks, like I can't go, if I, let's say I go to some state randomly in the middle of October, like I have four days to hunt and I'm going to take mornings off. Like, okay. No way. <laughs> and so the more you get out there and you work at it, the more you realize like, man, of course they're out there. And you know, it, it's probably, I don't know what the ratio of deer I kill in the evening to the morning is, you know, it's, it might be like 30, 70, something like, or, you know, 70, 30, but I hunt evenings more and it's, it's a real opportunity out there. And I think we've done a real disservice to hunters to just kind of, there's a lot of things we've done this with, but that's a big one. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So let's say we're hopping out there. We're going to the big woods, uh, this fall and I'm going to be, uh, just running in with my stand on my back and I'm looking for a spot to hunt, right? Like I'm trying to scout in, work my way in. What are some of the, of the, I guess, what would you say are like major influencers or like, yeah, there's mixed brows everywhere, but so, what's something that you consistently see year after year deer keying in on, or is there even that kind of predictability? Um, you know, like on a, on a big scale, it's the clear cut stuff. You know, okay. I mean, if you, if you have the right age, clear cut, you know, if it looks like you'd want to send your dog in there to kick up a grouse, but you don't want to walk in there, there's probably a lot of deer food in there. Okay. And I, I see a lot of, a, a lot of deer originate in those, you know, the, the problem with it is, is it might be an entire section or, you know, you might have hundreds of acres like that. And so it's like, okay, well, that's a starting point, but where, where are they coming out? And it, you know, it, they, they're going to move kind of in relation to the wind and you know, like they're, they're going to, they're going to make sure that there's no predators that are going to get them if they can help it. And so you can kind of narrow it down a little bit like, okay, if the wind's coming this way, he's probably going to walk this way or that way because it's going to favor him the most or something like that. So you can kind of like narrow it down some, but it's still not easy, you know, but it's, it, it can be consistent. Sure. So hugging tight to those clear cuts then. Well, you is, could just, you can kind of just use them as a, you know, like a, as a reference point. Yeah. You know, I mean, you just know there's probably, it, it, you can stand in the woods and look and go, well, there's less food to my left than there is to my right, because there's all this <laughs> regenerative growth. You sure. Know? Sure. Yeah. That would, that's probably the be the closest thing that they have there to a, a soybean field or to a, a food plot. Right. Yeah. And um, you, and you see it like, you know, when, when we go out and pick new spots to hunt grouse, you just, you look at, we look at, uh, on X or whatever, and you're, you're just picking edges, you know, like there's a, there's a swamp next to some pine trees or some higher ground. There's an edge there and you can see it and you get in there and that's also where the deer rubs are too. You know, I mean, it, it, there's, there's, there's a, even though it's a, a big scale thing, there are some things that deer just do. Like yeah. there's just some things that just animals just do. Sure. So speaking of, speaking of the, all of this sort of trying to put it all together, I want to run you through some dates and I want to say, Tony, 
you can't go anywhere this year. You can't go anywhere else except for Northern Wisconsin. You're going to spend your entire season there. You're going to start in September and it runs through what? December 31st, something like that. That first couple of days of January. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's the only place you have to hunt. I'm so sorry. Uh, it's going to be a rough one for you, <laughs> but I want to know where you think you want to be in your perfect world, given the dates that I'm about to throw out there. So the first one's this, this year, bow season comes in September 18th. Where do you want to be if you're hunting in the big woods? You mean like, what do I want to be hunting on? Like, what do yep. I, what do I want around my stand? Yep. What do you want? What do you want to be close to? Man. I most likely that, that time of year am going to hope I have some water around me. I'm going to probably be positioned around either some kind of water source in the woods for, for some reason that they seem to be there, you know, or on some kind of crossing situation. Okay. So whether it's a swamp or whether it's a Creek or something where there's, there's some, you know, there's two reasons for them to be there, right? They're going to, they're going to drink, even though they can find water in a lot of places, if they find water right where they want to go anyway, that's a better deal. And so I'm, I'm going to be looking, I, I would be around something like that and I will be swatting mosquitoes and swearing at you the whole time. <laughs> so you mentioned way earlier, uh, you were talking about water and you said moving water. Now, is, have you seen deer are more drawn to that or, or are you looking at that from a, well, I get them coming to drink and I get them coming to cross. Uh, moving water. I like mostly cause there there's predictable movement around it. I, you know, I, I kind of have a reputation for being like a water guy, I guess, but like moving water, even little tiny trickles, there's going to be deer around them. They're going to parallel it. There's going to be certain points they cross it. And there's going to typically be some terrain to work with. You know what I mean? Like you, you can find rivers that are in flat ground that, you know, there's not, there's not any of those kind of pinch points along the edges or anything like that. But typically if you have some water that's flowing, it's going to have some up and down to it somehow, somewhere. That's, that's going to matter. That's going to create your pinch points in your funnels. And then, you know, yeah, you've got some place for them to drink, but you just have these natural corridors. Like they follow waterways. I like just like we do. I like when we were heading out and, you know, the 1800s go trap beavers, like they're following the same waterways that all the animals were, you know, like we just do that for multiple reasons. So do they, and then there's certain points where they cross them and those are my favorite because now I can play to some extent deer paralleling the, the waterway. Then I got this other situation where they're crossing it. And, you know, if you get out there on September 18th and it's 85 degrees, well, there's another reason for them to be there. And, you know, on top of that, there's usually a different kind of vegetation around water. Hmm. So you, you might have a food situation that's just different, or you might have a bedding situation because there's a, like a little thermal sink or it's a little cooler along that water where it's just thicker and it's giving them something more. So it, that's a, I, I don't know. I use that a lot. Yeah. I actually uh, recently was reading uh, something you wrote. I think you may have even mentioned it in, in your book. And I know you've mentioned it in several articles uh, about crossings and that sort of thing. I have actually uh, part of my trail camera strategy. I'm going to switch things up a little bit this year. Usually I've got cameras out on soybean fields and that sort of stuff thinking I'm going to catch them. I actually decided to bring all my cameras in because I have easy access by uh, canoe. And I'm thinking of covering all the different crossings that I find as opposed to sticking them out on, uh, on the, on the soybean fields early in the season. What, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's a way better strategy. Oh, really? I mean, okay. Yeah. I mean, you already know that deer like soybeans, right? Yep. 
You yeah. knew that, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, nothing has to confirm that for me, I guess. You know, the field edge trail camera is really valuable if you can't glass it. Mm. You know, it, it can be, I should say. Sure. If you if you can get in and glass them, there's no need, there's no reason to run trail cameras in there. Like you, you and it, we do it because it's fun and we know they're coming to the soybeans, but you know deer are gonna eat soybeans. You know, on opening day, that's gonna be a great place to be somewhere mm-hmm. on that the soybeans, whether they're green, yellow, brown, whatever. But if you want a place to kill a big one all season long, because that soybean situation is hit or miss. And it, you know, it depends on if, you, if there's anybody else hunting there or anything, because that's going to draw the pressure right away and, and you're going to pressure it right away. Yep. So, but a, a river crossing, man, that's, that's a season long thing. And you have such an advantage sometimes for access, like you talked about, and then playing the wind, you know, like if they, if they cross on this crossing and you can get downwind of it, and then your wind's blowing out over the river, man, you got, you have so much working for you. And you, you want to talk about a good morning setup for early season, get in on some of those river crossings in the dark. It mm. just can be so amazing. Man. So my, my summer trail camera strategy has been endorsed by Tony Peterson. Absolutely. Everybody. There, there's I'm... no way you won't fill 185 <laughs> inch this year, man. I've got that recorded. I'm pumped. Okay, <laughs> good. Well, if I don't, then I'm coming after you. No, I'm kidding. Uh, okay. So that's September 18th. Fast forward, and and I, I I pick these dates from like a weekend warrior perspective of like okay I'm a guy that's got a normal amount of time I've got six weekends or so right to devote to hunting. Fast sure. forward, it's not opening weekend anymore. It's October sixteenth. Where do you want to be? Oh man, that's like my sweet spot. Mm-hmm. So I like that. That is the time of year I like being in deep. And I like being somewhere where I've, I found rubs, like some kind of concentration of rubs in the winter scouting, some, some kind of area like that, where it's like those deer could move all day long and they're never going into an opening anywhere. You know, they're going to be back in there and there's some rubs around and there's some kind of trail or terrain feature that just works for me. And I, I do, I hunt a lot around that time period. And that is, I should say this, that's the one time if I, if I have an area where I'm like, you know, this is, you know, three quarters of a mile back in there. It's a pain in the ass to get to. I know there was a bunch of rubs in there from last season because I saw them this spring. And then that's the one, if I have my stand on my back and I'm sneaking in and I see that community scrape, then I'm hunting it. Because okay. that that October 10th to kind of the 20th time frame has been, for me, it's been kind of the sweet spot for uh, scrape hunting. Like I just, I think there's some kind of communication thing that they're really sorting out then. And I see more activity on scrapes than any other time of the year right then. Okay. So any, any kind of, of buck sign you're moving on it. If, if it's recent pretty much. Well, yes. And I should say I'm not paying a whole lot of attention. Like if I'm walking halfway in and I'm on a logging road and there's some rubs on it, I don't really care. I want to be off of the access and then start finding some rubs. Okay. And then if I find it and I find some scrapes or I find something like that, then I'm going, okay. And it, it's all of this stuff that I'm talking about. Like it's, it's really hard to explain this in its entirety. You know, you know what I mean? Like, cause you'd be, I'd be looking at this going, I probably would still be playing off some kind of water thing. Sure. Whether, you know, sure. and that might just be like a, a wetland that I'm working around or something there, there might be way more into it than I'm saying. I'm probably selling that way short, but the, the kind of the gist of it would be like, that time of year, if you find a if you find a bunch of buck sign, in relative, like you said earlier, to the concentration of actual deer, like the density, 
then it's time to get in that tree and yeah. start watching. All right. So let's talk now. 10 days later, a lot changes in that 10 days from October 16th to October 26th. Where do you want to be? Are you hunting mornings or evenings or both? I'm hunting all of it. All of um, it. Yeah. Mornings, every, all of those time frames I'm hunting mornings and evenings. Yep. Um, unless I just got like a really good duck thing going on or something. And once in a while, <laughs> I might be, I might be sitting with the lab somewhere, but sure. that, you know, that might be that October 26th to kind of Halloweenish time. That might be an, at least in my experience, in my opinion, the best time to run into a really big one in the big woods, it, especially if you're in a baiting County, because you're just, you're just on the cusp of the good stuff. So they're just, they're feeling it. And they actually, I do see when it's right. I do see a lot of daytime movement in the big woods. Like, I think it's just cause they got a lot of cover. I, I don't see that as much in some of the, some of the more ag heavy stuff sometimes where it's like, you're supposed to be covered in deer all day. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't, especially in pressure deer. I don't see that that much, but I do see good early, you know, early in the evening or late in the morning movement in the big woods. A lot of times that time of year. And I think it's just cause I got a lot of cover and that, that rifle pressure isn't out yet. The bow hunters are like, they're kind of getting antsy, but they're like, Oh, we got three weeks, whatever. You know, we got almost till Thanksgiving before the gun season comes in. That's like my time. I, I like that time a lot. Okay. Now we're going to fast forward a little bit further. November 6th. Uh, November 6th is just pinch point time. Okay. I mean, just, and for me that it's, it's back off of any kind of access pinch point stuff, because that's when you start getting people who are just like, well, I'm going to throw the you know, the 20 gauge on my four wheeler, I'm going to go, maybe I can pop a grouse, but I'm going to go drive around the woods. Like, like the, the kind of day trader crowd, they really <laughs> want to get in and start seeing around, or maybe they go check their ladder stand or something like that. Or maybe they go throw a camera up and the presence, not only of just bow hunters, but the presence of the rifle hunters who kind of just want to get in the woods starts to creep up. So, you know, on November 6th, those bucks are going to be chasing, but the, you know, there's going to be elevated pressure on the easy access stuff and it's going to emanate from the the logging roads and the two tracks and the parking areas so it that's when it's time to get in and spend your day somewhere on a pinch point or a funnel that's that's way off of that stuff okay how how much does this pressure play into your planning when when you're talking big woods are you are you are you just saying i'm trying to get away from people or are you is it to the point where you're saying i'm playing off of what other people are doing um, it's, it's a little of both. I'm mostly just trying to get away from people. Okay. I don't want people to influence my hunt as, sure. as, as little as possible, you know? And so I just, I want to get away from them. And this is just the Western hunting trick, right? Like you just, just outwork the competition, get away from them. But it's, it's a little different in that those deer, because they live there, like they're not going to switch home ranges, you know, on November 5th, like they're, they're there. But their home range might be, you know, 800 acres, 1,000 acres, something like that. They got a lot of places to hide, you know. And it, so it might not be that they're two miles in. It might be that they are just 200 yards off the road. They're just in a place that people don't go. And when you, when you spend a lot of time elk hunting, you start to see this so much where it's like they are just where we aren't. And they figure it out every day until you get in there and you might get in there and have a couple good hunts. And then you're the one that blew them out. And now they're out there somewhere, <laughs> but they're in a new spot like that. 
and you see that, you know, so you can just kind of with, with the other pressure, you can just go, well, it's not going to be here because this is where people are going to be. It's not going to be right along this little corridor that has two different logging roads going in. It makes this loop here that everybody likes to drive. It's going to be somewhere else. Hmm. Okay. So pinch points back away from access on November 6th. We're going to fast forward now and we are on November 20th, which I think is opener of rifle this year. <laughs> where am I going to be on the opener of the Wisconsin rifle? I'll be uh, pheasant hunting. Okay. <laughs> down in <laughs> Southwestern Minnesota. <laughs> I found myself on the opener last year sitting inside scared to death because I wasn't sure I wanted to approach any of the pieces of public around my house. So yeah, it's, it's a different world, man. I, I don't, I've, I've rifle hunted Northern Wisconsin a handful of times and I just don't enjoy it that much. I mean, by yeah. that time of the year, I'm like, and I, part of it is that I don't, I mean, I guess if I put it more time in, maybe it would be different, but I don't like sitting there with my fingers crossed, hoping somebody kicks up a deer by me. Yep. You know, like it just, it feels different to me. And I just, it's never been like a, you know, we never had that history of going up to the cabin or any of that kind of stuff. So it's not, it's just not ingrained in me the same way it is a lot of people like that. That's a lot. Like I have buddies who are like, that's their favorite thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And more, and more power to those rifle hunters. Absolutely. Get out there and get after it. But yeah. for some, it, it impacts the, you know, the quality of the, of the hunt. And so um, for me last year, I, I was warned and it, it, it didn't, I don't think it turned out to be quite as bad as people had made it out to be, but I was told it was basically like world war three. And yeah. so if you're planning on going public, you better be careful. And I, I drove past one public piece and I thought, oh dear, look at all that orange, all those orange dots out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there are probably some areas where you can get off and get away from, from everybody else. All right. Uh, we're going to fast forward way forward now, all the way to December 11th. Let's say you've got a good cold front coming through. You're going to go freeze your ass off for a few hours. Uh, this, that's going to be entirely about the sign. You know I mean? It, okay. The good thing about hunting Northern Wisconsin is if it's December 11th, you're going to have snow, yep. <laughs> you know, like you're going to be able to tell where they walked. Yep. Right. And where they're bedding and all that stuff. Um, it's so, that's so hard. The late season stuff is even on pretty good properties if you're doing like a hanging hunt situation it's just so tough it's so easy to get busted um but it can be fun you know i i I like i like december bow hunting some (laughs) but but i i go into it mostly mostly sort of with the the feeling that i'll shoot anything that comes by so it's that's fun yep and i'm just like cognizant of the end coming and i'm like i i want to i want to milk as much out of this as i can because i know it's going to end so anything any deer sighting or any encounter is kind of a super bonus because it's not like you go in thinking like it's this is going to be on fire like you go in going they're probably going to kick my ass all over this place today (laughs) and they usually do oh that's good i uh i i made it out for one january hunt last year and down here the season didn't end until january 31st and uh, I went out, I think it was like four degrees. Um, everything was loud. I walked through knee deep snow. Um, I missed a doe, drew my bow back. It sounded like uh, my stand and my bow were going to snap in half from the cold. Uh, and it was, it was a, a totally different experience, but, but coming from Alabama, you know, our, our season goes through February 10th. 
and our rut is right there last weekend of January. I mean, February 4th is like our day for the rut. You know, that's when we, on my dad's place, we uh, have good encounters during that period. So it's strange for me not to be in the woods in, or to think about not being in the woods in December or January, but um, anyway, so, all right. Anything else that uh, I'm not asking about uh, big woods hunting that I should be like, I I'm such a novice to this. I've literally never been there. The extent of my big woods knowledge comes from listening to my dad talk about hunting in the UP growing up. Cause he's from Michigan. So I have zero knowledge. What, what have I not asked that you're like, Hey, your listeners need to hear about this. Um, you know, I, I mean, it, we kind of touched on this a whole bunch in like passing reference, you know, th- this is to me anyway, the big woods is like the place for mobile hunting. I mean, it, you know, and it's, that's super popular right now with the saddles and everything, but like one, one good setup that you're really comfortable with. I don't care if it's a saddle or a stand and whatever sticks you use. I, I don't care. Find, find what you like and have one of those because if you're not willing to move, you're in trouble. You know, like if, if it's, if you look at this and you're like, oh, it's a pain to pull this down and move it. Or, you know, you're hunting land that you have to take it down every day. Like you got to have something that you're very comfortable with. And it's a very easy 10 minutes up, 10 minutes down thing, or 15 minutes up, 15 minutes down thing. Like if, if it's not that it's, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's, that's actually the opposite of what I anticipated. I, I expected, um, you know, a lot of the focus on big woods hunting to be like, you got to find a good spot and you got to sit it out. You got to wait low deer density. You got to give it time, but you're kind of saying the opposite direction. Well, if you had time, maybe, hmm. you know, I mean, if you, some retired dude, let's say this probably has an awesome plan for that, where there's some <laughs> trail or something that if you just put in your time, yeah, most of us don't have that. Sure. You know, sure. And I don't want to, <clears throat> I mean, that's, that's what we, you know, we kind of talked about earlier is it's very easy to just say, well, the conditions will bring a deer to me eventually. So I don't need to worry about it now. You know, like, why would I, why would I hunt October 10th when on Halloween, there's going to be bucks running all over. Or I'm going to be able to rattle them in. Like we we're very good at talking ourselves into those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And the success rate just shows us that like, it's obviously not true to the extent we want to believe it, that you could just go out and, you know, throw out a bottle of dopey or rattle or whatever, and they're going to come in. Or if you just put in your time, you know, Halloween through whatever date that's going to happen. You know, if that, if that were the case, there'd be like a hundred percent success rate in Iowa bow hunters, mm. you know, they got the entire month and there isn't. So why not? Like what's going on? And, you know, I mean, I know it's like, maybe that's a poor example, but you got to go find the deer. Like you gotta, you gotta get on them. If you're living a normal person's life and you don't have unlimited time, it's, it's hard to get around that. Sure. Sure. So are you, what is your mobile setup? Are you hunting out of a saddle? <laughs> I've got both. You've got both. What so do you it, de- it depends what, what situation I'm in. Like it depends. I, I like, I like saddles. I like stands. I like lightweight stands too. And if I'm going to, I do better in long sits in a stand. And so it just kind of depends what the situation is, you know, what I can get away with, you know, and it, it's more important, you know, people get really focused on the weight, you know, I'm like, I don't know, it's not, not that big of a deal to me. Like we, we carry a lot of weight in elk hunting and we're fine, but I'm more, I'm more concerned with, can I get this up really, really quietly, no matter what it is, you know, and that there's, there's a big advantage to saddles there, but also can I sit comfortably? 
for hours and hours and hours. And sometimes I need to stand for that, you know? And so we've, we've, we're kind of selling this message lately that just all you need is a saddle and two sticks and aiders and you can get up and do your thing. And like, that's, that's good for some people. Some people don't like that. Like, and we, and we just need to say like, there's more options, you know, like I use, I use stands that are eight and a half pounds for a lot of this. I mean, like carrying that in is nothing, you, you know what I mean? But it gives me, it really, for me, gives me like the comfort to sit all day. And that's, that's one thing, you know, we talk a lot about is like, oh, the all day sits. Most people don't go do those. Like most like mentally they check out or, you know, like, oh, we're not seeing deer for a few hours. I've got to move or something like that. Part of that is just discomfort. You know, like part of it is like, you just don't want to admit that you're sick of sitting in this diaper swinging from the tree and you're not, you're not that comfortable, you know? Yeah. And so you just got to find what works for you. And some people can do that and some people love it, but you're in for a rude awakening. Some people are, if they go buy a saddle and they're like, well, I'm going to sit all day for eight days in a row. Like, oh. You might not like that. Just like certain tree stands, you'd sit on them and go, this is horrible. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's more once I found for me, I, I used to lug around the big summit climber because I'm from Alabama and that's what we did down there. Right. Like you have the big, huge summit climber and you go find a pine tree and you get up super, super high in it. I found when I, I did switch to a saddle. Um, but honestly, once you get below that 20 pound mark, 17 pound mark, if you just have good quality gear that you know how to use and you can be effective and quiet with it, the weight really doesn't matter. Yeah. The, the packability is huge, you know, keeping things from snagging on stuff and all of that around you, but you can do that with a small tree stand. You yeah. know, if it's not a big climber hanging off your back, you can make pretty much anything quiet. And, and if you have confidence in it and, and it results in you spending more hours on stand, well, that's the key, right? Yep. Well, it is. And, you know, I mean, it, nobody ever wants to hear this and I don't, I don't really push this message a whole lot, but you know, people ask me 14 times a week now, like, what should I buy to hunt this or this scenario or what's the best this? And I'm like kind of becoming more and more convinced that if you really, really want to be a good deer hunter in a challenging situation, you'd be better off just buying running shoes or a gym membership. Like, and I, and I'm sick of the, the beast mode bullshit from out West. Like I'm sick. Of, I get it. That's why I don't push this because that we, for a while, we kind of sold this narrative that as long as you get in super good shape, you'll be a really good elk hunter. And it's entirely not true. Like it's absolutely important to be in shape if you want to enjoy your hunt out there, but you see 65 year old dudes who are not in shape, killing elk in, in over the counter units. Like they, they obviously know something that gets them around having to be, you know, marathon runners, but there is a component of it where if you're going to go to a mobile hunt and you're going to do this all season long, if you're, if you keep yourself in elk shape to whitetail hunt, you will keep going. And it's, it just changes how you look at things and really helps change the attitude. Like, instead of just being like, Oh, this sucks. Or, you know, this guy drove in on me and like, it, it's like, I can go find them. I can keep doing this. And if you feel good, you're going to want to do that. And I know like people don't want to hear that. And I, and I get it. Like, I don't, I have buddies who are fitness nuts and I don't want to hear from them. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, shut up. Don't, I don't want to see any more goddamn gym selfies. Like stop doing that guys. Like I, it, but I it's, think we need some gym selfies of Tony Peterson. You, That's you what will, I think we need. To you see. will never, I have a very strict rule. So I think women, and I, this is going to make me sound totally sexist, but I'm going to say it anyway. For some reason, I'm okay with like 
a certain extent of selfies from women. I'm like, I, okay, ladies, you get six a year, <laughs> like choose wisely dudes get one and it better be because something unbelievable happened. Like you got attacked by a bobcat and he clawed up your face or something <laughs> like there's gotta be something there. That's really, really cool. Okay. And I think we should, I think that should be law. Yeah. I'm, I'm down with that. I, you know, I think you just touched on something that was really, really good, especially if you're hunting something like the big woods, that fitness piece, you know, I know we don't want to, we don't want to dive off into that necessarily, but uh, I noticed in myself this past year, both in deer hunting and in Turkey hunting, um, I started making decisions based on my fitness level or lack thereof. And when I started thinking about, I need to be you know, I, for a, a really good example, I was using uh, water access quite a bit last year uh, during the rut. And I got all the way up in this tree and I fought this tree and I'm, you know, I've got my sticks and my saddle and I finally get in the tree was too big, I sh but it, it was where I had to be. And I get up in this tree and I can see probably, I don't know, a hundred yards down this lane. And when I get up there, I, I had stopped because I was walking in everything on my back. I get up there in this tree after fighting it for like an hour, I look and I see another tree about a hundred yards away and the whole, everything underneath it's just torn to shreds, rubs everywhere, scrapes everywhere. And I'm like, I've got to be there. And I go back and forth. Am I going to tear all of this down and get out of this tree now and go climb that other tree a hundred yards away or 75 yards away or whatever it is. And uh, I almost didn't do it, but I did. Uh, I'm really grateful that I did. I had a wonderful encounter. Didn't, didn't kill a buck, but had a great encounter there. And so, but then I realized like, man, my, my lack of fitness almost made me miss out on that. And then turkey hunting this year, you know, I hear, I hear a goblin. I almost don't go after it. You know, I'm like, ah, maybe I'll just, I'll just sit it out. I'll, I'll see if he comes in. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I think that we, um, we have two extremes, right? We've got the guys who are just the, take the good old boy approach and say, you know what? I'm not doing anything. I'm going to want to drink beer and eat bonbons all hunting season or all year long. And then when hunting season comes, expect to get out there or the other side of like, if you can't run an ultra marathon, like what are you even doing with your life? Why even bother hunting? <laughs> You're not going to kill anything. Yep. Yeah. The deer are not intimidated by your lack of muscles. Uh, so anyway, thanks for bringing that up. I do. I appreciate that. Uh, well, Tony, I've taken uh, plenty of your time. I super appreciate you coming on. Uh, I've been reading your stuff for a long time, uh, keeping up with you through different avenues and um, super grateful that you take the time to be on this podcast. Let people know where can we find more from you um, either on, um, on your podcasting that you're doing right now, writing that you're doing. And uh, recently I found a Kindle book from yours. So I think people should check that out as well. So where can we find more from you? Yeah, I've got some stuff on Amazon. You know, I got the whitetail book there, the public land whitetail book. That's pretty popular. Um, all the whitetail stuff like we talked about is at, at Meat Eater, you know, the meateater.com or the Wired to Hunt YouTube channel, uh, Wired to Hunt podcast. You know, I'm on there a lot. I'm guest hosting some. And then I've got the Foundations miniseries on there. That's um, a big project. And then, you know, if the bird dog side of things, if you're interested in that at all, um, I have a podcast called Sporting Dog Talk that I I host every week. And it is, it's not just hunting dogs. I mean, it's canine researchers and um, falconry and just anything related to working dogs in any way. And that's, that one's fun. That, that one's cool too. So it's, 
Anybody who wants to find my stuff can find it out there. There's more than you. You, you want to get sick of me any way possible. You can find it out there. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Very good. Well, I, I do want to just plug the title of the book is bow hunting, public land, whitetails. Uh, if anybody's looking for uh, just a good primer on, you know, here's how you get started bow hunting, public land deer. It's a great resource. So um, yeah, people should check it out. Well, thanks, Tony. I appreciate your time. Hopefully we can uh, catch up again at some point in the future, but uh, hope you have good luck this season. And as you finish out some summer scouting, are you doing summer scouting? Oh yeah. Are you? Okay. Okay. <laughs> what, what is your summer? Just real quick. What does your summer scouting look like? Are you a, are you a, I'm a low, low pressure kind of guy doing most of it from the truck and online, or are you a, I'm diving in and checking things out boots on the ground. All of the above buddy. Okay. Doing it all. Uh, yeah. All of the above, you know I mean? Especially, as we get into midsummer here and get a little closer, then, then it gets, you know, June is probably my slowest month of the year. Just it's time to kind of go fishing and there's not, not as much to learn, you know, sure. Now the, a lot of East scouting, a lot of boots on the ground, you know, glassing, if I can get away with it in certain spots, cameras in some places just depends. Yeah. Some of the, some of the deer in my area are starting to put on some, some significant headgear at this point, at least enough to say, okay, that's yeah. going to be a good one. So yeah. it's an this exciting is, time. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, I really appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Tony. Thanks again to Tony for joining me today. Go check out his writing on the meateater.com. Catch his podcast, Sporting Dog Talk. And if you haven't already, go give the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast a listen. It's a great resource and a great refresher on some of the fundamentals of deer hunting. Big thanks to you also for listening. If you haven't already, follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you access this podcast. Leave us a review. That helps us out a ton. It helps other fi others find this podcast and uh, it lets us know how we can improve and provide a better resource for you. Because at the end of the day, that is our goal is to provide a, an awesome resource for Wisconsin sportsmen. So share this podcast with a buddy you think might enjoy it. Share it on social media. Follow us on Instagram at the Wisconsin Sportsman. And until next time, get outside, get your trail cameras hung to see what the bucks are growing, and enjoy the outstanding resource that is ours as Wisconsin Sportsmen. Sportsman.